Hello, and welcome to the Rive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. During the Christmas season, we see angels in many displays and decorations. We sing songs like, Angels We Have Heard On High. What are angels? How do we see and hear them? Angels appear in 19 books in the Bible and are mentioned over 400 times. Pastor Todd takes us on a journey through Scripture to understand what angels are like. He clears up misunderstandings about them as well. Are you ready to get into it? Be sure to listen to the end for some important information. We're talking about seeing and hearing in the spiritual realm. Uh, We've talked everything from discernment. Uh, Last week, we talked about the demonic. This week, I want to talk about angels and the angelic seeing and hearing. And there is no way, no way I can cover everything about angels in the time that we have this morning. Uh, But what I want to do is kind of skip across the top of the water and let you kind of put your toes in and get them wet and kind of learn a little bit. Uh, Angels are mentioned in 19 books of the Bible uh, and mentioned over 300 times in Scripture. Uh, I want to disappoint some of you greatly by letting you know that angels are not naked babies with bows and arrows. They're not. I'm sorry. It's just, it's, it's not true. It's not in there. Nor are they our deceased relatives. We don't become angels after we leave this life. Uh, what we do know about angels is they don't marry, that we hear that in uh, Luke 20, 36. Uh, we know that they don't know when the return of Christ is. We're told that in Matthew 24. Angels are, though, created beings. Uh, we learn that in Psalms 148, 2-5 and Colossians 1:16. We also understand that they possess emotions. In Luke 15, 10, they rejoice. In Luke 2, 13 and 14, they praise. We understand that they have a will. In Revelation 5, 11 and 12, they told John not to bow down before them. We do not worship angels. Uh, we also know that they're a higher form of being than we are. In Psalms 8, 5 and Hebrews 2, 7, it says that we were made a little lower than the angels. We know there are types of angels in Scripture. Uh, one is known as an archangel, one of the, the seraphim and the cherubim. And there's a phrase that's used in the Old Testament that if you're not familiar with it, you may be missing out where it says the angel of the Lord. Typically in the Old Testament, that's Jesus. Uh, He's called the angel of the Lord. It would be a Christophany in Scripture. We could see what was Jesus doing between the time of creation and coming to this earth. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is him. Uh, We understand that there are seraphim, which means burning ones, and they surround the glory and the holiness of God. They're described in Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. They're the ones that carried the burning coal and put it on Isaiah's lips. They have six wings, uh, two they fly with, two that cover their face and two that cover their feet. Uh, There are cherubim called out in Scripture, uh, a guardian angel of sort, an angel who guards. In Genesis 3.24, a cherubim angel was put in front of the tree of life to guard it from Adam and Eve coming and eating from the everlasting tree uh, in their fallen state. Uh, we see in Revelation 4, 5, and 6, some described as living creatures. Uh, in Daniel 10, they're described as princes, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. There's also three angels that seem to have a higher ranking or higher role, uh, the first one being Michael. Uh, Michael, the name means who is like God, is called out as an archangel 
angel and a warrior angel. In Jude 1.9, Michael is disputing with the devil. In Revelation, he's going to war. There's an angel named Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel means man of God, but Gabriel tends to be a messenger. Gabriel came and gave a word to Mary, came and gave a word to Zacharias, came and gave a word to Joseph. Then there was an angel named Lucifer. Uh, in the Hebrew, Hillel, uh, the worshiper in heaven who wanted to be like God and therefore was cast down from heaven uh, to this earth and took a third of the angels with him. Now, the good news uh, is that since he took one third, that means two thirds stayed with God. That means the uh, demons are outnumbered two to one by the angels. That's a good thing. And you may ask the question, you know, when Lucifer fell and those angels left, why didn't God just destroy them and not let them be? Uh, because they are created beings, created by God. In Colossians 1.16, it says all things were created by God. Uh, and how did he create? He spoke. He breathed out the existence. He breathed into you and I the breath of life, his very spirit. And in Psalms 33, 6, it says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. So everything that lives and moves and breathes inside of it was created by God. Now, the unique thing about that is, if it was breathed or spoken of by God, it is eternal. Because it comes from an eternal God. When he speaks it out, it is eternal. Therefore, Satan and the demons are eternal beings, just like you and I are eternal beings because God breathed his breath and spoke us into existence. Now, the good news is if you look at Revelation 20.10, it says the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In other words, even though they are eternal beings, they are eternally now separated from God, uh, will not be where you and I are for eternity. We are eternal beings. So then the next question might be, how many angels are there? Are there a bunch of them? In Revelation 5.11, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads, and thousands of thousands. A myriad in the Greek, uh, morios, is innumerable or sometimes can represent 10,000. So he could have been saying 10,000s of 10,000s when he said myriad. Quickly, do the math. What's 10,000 times 10,000? A hundred million. That's a bunch. That's a bunch, or perhaps it means that they're uncountable. Do you have an angel? Do you personally have an angel? Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. What are we talking about? The believer. The believer dwells in the shelter of the Most High in the shadow of the Almighty. You go down to verse 11 of 91. It says, for he will give, God will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and they will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Now, let me clarify what that just said. It said, if you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, in our terms today, if you are a believer, 
If you have accepted what Christ has done for you and come into the kingdom of God, you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, and God gives the angels charges concerning you. That's a good thing. If you look at Matthew 18, 10, everybody says, well, doesn't every child have an angel? It says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my father who is in heaven. Now that's not clear as to one angel, one child, but it does say there are angels for the children, that there's an assignment that's been made. So the beauty of that scripture is whether it's an individual or whether it's an assignment overall, we have angels that are given charge concerning our life. That's such a good thing because as a believer, you could walk out your life knowing about the demonic, not recognizing that they're outnumbered two to one and not realizing that the angels are given assignment to take care of you. That's a good thing. For some of you, you're really excited about it. Have you ever seen an angel? In Hebrews 13, 2, there's unique scripture. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. I believe that I have entertained angels. I don't mean by being in my presence. I think they're entertained by me. I think they look and say, this guy is so dumb and he just keeps going for it. We love it. We're just so entertained watching Todd. It's an amazing thing. Scripture says that we entertain occasionally angels. I'll tell you the truth, and and this is how it's played out in my life. Maybe it has in yours too. You don't realize that you've entertained an angel until later. When you go back and evaluate what happened, and you think, I don't know how I met with that person, and they did this, and oh my goodness, there was an angelic presence in that. Angels ministered to Jesus in Scripture. In Mark 1.13, we know the scene. He's in the wilderness. He's been there 40 days and 40 nights. Satan is tempting him. In Mark 1.13, it says, And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast. Now, some people will sit back and say, Well, of course, he's in the desert. There's going to be lions and tigers and bears out there. That's not what the wild beasts are. If you go look in Scripture, what he's talking about is the demonic. The demons are there with Satan. So you have Satan and the demons who are working on Jesus. What are they doing? They are trying to get Jesus to submit to Satan. Why? Same thing that happened to man in the garden. He submitted to Satan instead of to God. He did what God said instead of what, or did what Satan said instead of what God said. In the same way, what the, uh, Satan is trying to do is tempt him to submit. He says, I'll give you all of these territories if you'll bow down to me. But it doesn't happen. And it says in 113, the angels were ministering to Jesus. What are they ministering to him? They were giving him strength. And I'll show you in the book of Daniel in a minute how that works. So the question is, do they minister to you? Hebrews 113. But to which of the angels has he, God, ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet? What's that scripture talking about? God has said to Jesus, stay at my right hand, I'll put your enemies at your feet. He's saying, to which angel has he said that to? In other words, the point he's about to make is angels are not like Jesus. He said, never said to an angel, go over here and I'll make your enemies at your feet. He's only said that to Jesus. Then he goes on to tell you a little bit about angels and the fact that they're not like Jesus, but in 14, they have a job. Are they not all 
ministering spirits. All angels are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who are called to inherit salvation. 18 sermons right there. So let's break it down. Let's just look at each of those steps. He said, are not all ministering angels? Now, another way to say that is all angels are. All angels are ministering. Liturgigos uh, in the Greek. It means employed in ministry, employed to minister. They are employed by God to minister to you. They protect you. They bring you messages. They help you. They strengthen you. It says, are not all ministering spirits? They are spirits. They are in the spiritual realm. They're operating in the spiritual realm. But in a minute, I'll show you they can affect the physical realm. It says they are sent out. They're not roaming to and fro as they want. God sends them out with a particular mission. And that mission is to render service. Diakonea. What's that sound like? It's deacons. Same word. Their job is to be a deacon. Their job is to be a servant. Their job is to serve For the sake, in other words, who are they employed to serve? Those who will inherit salvation. And if you're a believer, that's you and me. Their job is to be sent out by God to minister to you as a believer. That's really good news. But the opposite is also true. They are not employed to minister to those who will not inherit salvation. It's going to mean something in a minute. So here's what I want to do. That's a lot of data, in fact, about angels. I want to go look at a story of an angel in the Old Testament interacting with man, and then look at a story of the angel in a New Testament story interacting with man, and see if anything about their role has changed. In other words, is there anything different about them for us today than it was in the time of of Moses and Abraham? And so let's go back. The first one I'm going to use is the story of Daniel. Daniel in chapter 10. Daniel has been praying three times a day. And he is living in a time where the people of God are ruled over by other nations. Babylon has ruled over them. The Medes and the Persians will rule over them. The Greeks will rule over them. And finally, the Romans, we see in the first century, rule over them. But in Daniel 2.10, Daniel has an interaction with an angelic being, and I want to talk about that. It says, in those days, verse 2, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. Everybody say three weeks. I did not eat any tasty food nor did meat or wine enter my mouth. He is praying and he is abstaining from certain uh, benefits, if you will, certain uh, foods that are considered lavish. Nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. Three weeks is going to be important. On the 24th day of the first month, while I was in the bank of the river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Euphaz. His body was also like burl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms like the fleet and gleamed polished bronze. And the sound of the words were like the sound of a tumult. 
He's having a vision of an angelic being. And uh, now if you look at that description and you go back to the stories of Mary and Joseph and some of these others, every time an angelic being shows up, what's the first thing the angelic being says to man? Don't be afraid. Now you know why. You know what they're looking at. And he's saying, don't be afraid. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. While the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, they didn't see it, but a great dread fell on them and they ran away to hide themselves. Listen to me. When the presence of God shows up, it changes the environment. It changes the environment around you. People who don't even see what you can see, people who don't even know what it is, know something's happening. Matter of fact, they run and hide. Verse eight. So I was left alone and I saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me for my natural color had turned to a deathly pallor and I retained no strength, but I heard the sound of his words. I heard what he said. And as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face. Remember, this was a vision. Now he's fallen into sleep with my face to the ground. Then behold, a hand touched me. A hand touched me and set me to trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man of high esteem. (laughs) I got to pause for a minute just because I think this is so God-like that he starts with affirmation. He starts with speaking life. Do you remember when he met with Gideon and said, oh, valiant warrior, while Gideon's hiding, threshing out weed in a wine press, afraid of the Midianites. Oh, I'm not a valiant warrior. He comes to Daniel and he says, oh, man of high esteem, understand the words I'm about to tell you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you, been sent. This being has been sent because some would look at this and say, well, is this Jesus because of the description or is this an angelic being? I'm going to give you some reasons why I think this is Gabriel as opposed to Jesus. And I'll tell you why. One is this phrase, I've been sent to you. Gabriel is a messenger sent. And then it says, uh, later on, Daniel says, I see him as a human being. Where just two chapters before, in chapter 8, Daniel describes the angel Gabriel as a human being. Zacharias and Mary both had Gabriel sent to them with a message. And this angel is coming with a message. I have words that I'm about to tell you. And when he spoke this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said to me, don't be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and humbling yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to your words. Angels are sent by God and are telling him when you began to pray from the first day you prayed, I was sent. I'm here to tell some of you that you have prayed and your answer has already been sent. It is on its way. But let's look what happened. Let's look what happened. It says, but the prince 
of the kingdom of Persia, watch this, was withstanding me for 21 days. How long is three weeks? 21 days. So the proof that as soon as Daniel spoke out his prayer, the angel was on his way, but he's been held up by the enemy for that 21 days. Are you with me? So listen to me. You may be wondering, where is my answer God? And God is saying, it is on the way, but the enemy's kind of slowing it down right now. But don't worry, it's been sent. That's for somebody today, I'm telling you. But it says he was held up by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Who is that? Now remember, this is an angel. An angel would not have been held up by an earthly prince. We're not talking about an earthly prince. We're talking about a demonic principality. A prince over Persia, the kingdom of Persia, has held up Gabriel in this little tug of war you're going to see they're having. But it says, then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, Michael and Gabriel being princes of the kingdom of God. We know Michael, Michael, we know he's a battling angel in Revelation 12, 7. It says there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. Michael is a leader of angels. Michael is a warring angel. It says, Michael, Gabriel says, came to help me for I had been left there with the king of Persia, with the kings of Persia. Now listen to me what I'm saying. This is why I don't think it's Jesus. I think it's Gabriel because he's saying I got held up by the king of Persia and Michael had to come and do battle to get me set free to come and talk to you. That doesn't sound like Jesus to me. He could have called 10,000 angels and been out of there in 21 seconds, not 21 days. Now I have come to give you understanding of what will happen to your people. Gabriel, messenger angel, tells what's to come. In the latter days, for the, the visions pertain to the days yet future. And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face to the ground and I became speechless. And behold, one who resembled a human being was touching my lips. Then I opened my mouth and I spoke and I said to him who was standing before me, Oh Lord, as a result of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I have retained no strength for how could such a servant of my Lord talk with such as my Lord? And as for me, there remains just now, no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me, saying, you have wiped me out. Then this one with human appearance, watch this, touched me again and strengthened me. The touch from the angel strengthened Daniel. And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now watch this. Now, as he spoke to me, I received strength. So he has received strength from the touch and he has received, uh, received? Anybody been Steve once and it's time to be received? <laughs> he has received strength from this angel speaking to him. Then he said, do you understand why I came to you? But now... Return to fight against the prince of Persia, 
That's the demonic force over Persia. So I am going forth and behold, watch this, the prince of Greece is about to come. We remember the string of people who had uh, rule over the children of Israel. And now he is saying, hey, there's another one coming. I'm going to have to fight with the prince of Greece. What is that about? If you go back to the chapter we're in to the first verse, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel. In other words, this is what we know. In the history of who it is that conquered over the people, we've already gone to the Babylonians. Now we're in the Persians. We're in the time of Persian rule. This is why Gabriel is being withheld by the prince of Persia, but says Greece is coming. How do I know all that's happening? Because if you go back to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel has to interpret a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a large statue and it's made up of different metals and he describes it this way. Nebuchadnezzar said it had a head of gold. It had a body of silver. Its waist was of bronze. Its legs were of iron and its feet were iron and mixed clay. So Daniel interprets that dream. And he says, this dream is about who is going to conquer this territory. It's going to start with Babylon, the gold. It's going to move to the Medo-Persian reign. What's that about? They always extracted silver as payment into the kingdom. So he's saying that silver chest is when they rule. And look who's next. The waist and legs are made of bronze. That's the Greeks. So the angel is confirming the interpretation of the dream by saying, I've been fighting with the Persians, but I'm about to have to fight with the Greeks. 21. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Gabriel is a messenger of the prophetic word to tell him what God has written about their history. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces, now watch these words, except Michael, your prince. Gabriel is saying to Daniel, Michael is assigned to be your prince. He is the angel who fights for you. Daniel, thus the Hebrews, thus the Jews, thus the Israel, thus you and me. Are you with me? He is telling Daniel, this is Michael who has been assigned to those who will inherit the kingdom of God. There are other angelic princes, but only one fights for you, and that's Michael. Why is that? Because Michael is actually a foreshadowing picture of Christ, who is the one who fights for us. The one who reconciles us to God. So we see this interaction of Daniel and this angel, how he gets touched, how he gets spoken to, how he talks about what's going on in the spiritual realm. Let's look in the New Testament. Let's see if anything changes about how angels interact with people. I'm going to take a story out of Acts chapter 12. In this story, Peter is in jail. Peter's good at getting put in jail. And in Acts 12, 6, it says, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, when the ruler was about to bring Peter forward to question him, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. He was bound with chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. I don't know what just happened, but he just set up how secure Peter is. He's sleeping between guards, he's bound in chains, and there's guards outside the door. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side. The angel poked him and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. Watch this. And he did so. Why is that important? Because he can hear what the angel is saying. Get up, gird yourself, put on your sandals. And he did. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he continued to follow. And he didn't know that what was being done was being done by the angel if it was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. This is Peter's interaction with an angel in a jail cell. The angel comes up, hits him, says, get up quickly, put on your belt, put on your shoes, put on your coat, follow me, and we walk right out of the prison. Good story, but I got to figure Peter is not a morning person. I'm looking at it in verse 11. It says, when Peter came to himself, this is after he's outside. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth an angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all of the Jewish people we're expecting. Listen, he got hit. Chains fell off of him. He put on his belt. He put on his shoes. He put on his coat and he walked out of prison. And then he came to himself. I think that's awesome. I don't know. Oh, I'm out of prison. This is awesome. Angels, as spiritual beings, can make physical things happen. His chains fell off. Not they got the key and they unlocked them. But there was a tangible demonstration of power where the physical got affected by the spiritual. The gates opened by themselves. A tangible demonstration of power. The physical was affected by the spiritual. But look at what this angel did. He had an assignment. He was sent to get Peter out of jail. He touched him. He talked with him and he led him out. Do you see the similarities in the story with Daniel? It's what angels do. They don't change from who they were to who they are. Their job is to minister to us when God sends them out to minister to us and they can speak with you and they can touch you and they can make things happen. And I think that's incredibly exciting. I think it's exciting for you to know that God is sending people in the spiritual realm to take care of the problems you have and they have the power to touch you, to speak with you, and to physically change things about you. They have the ability to grab that tumor and pull it out. They have the opportunity to open the doors for you. They have the opportunity to guide you to where you need to be to get you from bondage to freedom. Angels can do that on assignment. 
If I look in Scripture, here are some of the things that angels did for the people of God. Angels led Abraham's servant to find a wife for Isaac. Some of you men are rejoicing. Okay, go find me a wife, angel. Keep clapping. An angel brought food to Elijah when he fed from Jezebel. Angels shut the mouths of the lions in the den. An angel told Mary she would bear the Son of God. Told Joseph, go ahead and marry her. An angel warned Mary and Joseph to flee to Egypt after the birth of Jesus. An angel told Zechariah he would have a son named John. When Jesus was born, a host of angels sang. Angels rolled away the physical stone of Jesus' tomb and told the woman that he was no longer here, that he had been resurrected. Angel stirred the water at the pool of Bethesda. Angel was sent to rescue Peter from jail. An angel told Cornelius to call for Peter to come to his house. An angel told Paul, no one's going to die in this shipwreck. Angels celebrate when someone comes to know Christ as Savior. And the book of Revelation tells us that they're going to be sent up to gather the people of God in the last day. Listen, you are going to have a direct interaction with an angel because he's going to come and get you in the last day and take you to heaven. Angels are interactive. Don't be afraid when it happens. Angels are interactive on your behalf. They fight the enemy who wants to oppress you. They protect us from harm. You have an entire group of helpers in the spiritual realm. The group of helpers are sent to help you. And often when you pray at the direction of God, they can strengthen you. They can touch you. They can open doors for you. They can speak to you. They can give you messages. They can fight battles on your behalf. And they can celebrate your victories. This is what you have available in the spiritual realm, two to one over the enemy. We're in a good position. We're in a good position. But do you remember I said that they do not fight on behalf of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God? What is that about? It's about understanding whether or not you will inherit the kingdom of God. The story goes like this. God created man and he put him on this earth and he said, be fruitful and multiply and enjoy everything, but don't eat from this tree. Man who had God as a leader, God is the one who created him. God is the one who I'm following. God is the one whom I'm obeying said, God, I don't really care what you say. Satan said, if we eat from this tree, we'll be like you. And we're listening to him. And they rejected God. They found a new leader called the prince of this earth. And the relationship between man and God was broken. And God said, you're going to have to leave my protective garden. But I'm not going to let it stay that way. I'm going to send my son. As a man, he's going to come to this earth and he's going to walk out a sinless life. Why is that important? Because what broke the relationship between me and God was my sin. And scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have broken that relationship except the one, Jesus. Jesus came and walked it out sinlessly. Why is that important? 
because I am due an eternal separation from God because of my sin. I'm following the prince of the power of this world. God is saying you can have an eternity with him or you can have an eternity with me. The problem is you've already chosen him. What do I do about that? God says, I'll send Jesus. He will not break the relationship with me. He'll be righteous. He can leave this earth and go straight into an eternity with God. Why would that be important to you and me? Because he gives that up to take your punishment for you. He says, every condemnation, every punishment due to man, I will bear it on the cross. They'll mock me. They'll spit at me. They'll crucify me. I will die. And listen to me. I, Jesus says, will be separated from God. When? When he cried out on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he who knew no sin became sin. And died and was separated from God. And if he'd have stayed dead, he'd have been a guy that had a really great story, but we don't know the ending. The problem is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, he overcame death. He came back and presented himself to the apostles and over 500 people. And this is what he said. I have taken the punishment, but through the power of the Spirit, I have overcome death. I now have eternal life and I can give it to you. How? How do we get eternal life with God through Jesus? We believe. Scripture says that we repent and we believe. What is repenting? Listen, if you got in your mind today that I've been good, God's not upset. I'm a good person. I do much more good things than I do bad things. Sure, I've done some things wrong, but I go to church. I pray. I read my Bible. I'm a good person. Listen, Adam and Eve did one thing to be separated from God in the garden. One, and we've all done it. You need reconciliation to God just because of the one. So no longer do I believe I'm good enough to make it to heaven. No longer do I believe I'm going to convince God I did more good than bad. No longer am I going to convince, like, you know me, I'm a good person. I've already sinned. What I need is Jesus to stand between me and God. I need to be hidden in Christ. I need he who knew no sin to become sin on my behalf so that I might become right with God through him. That's what Jesus does. But it takes your belief that he did it for you. He's paid the price for all mankind. Now he's waiting to see who will accept what he did for them. Have you accepted what Jesus did for you on the cross because he did it for you? And if you're not willing to believe in that, you're willing to go to God and say, I'm going to stand on my own merits. I don't need Jesus. That's not going to go well for you. You need Jesus on your behalf. You need to believe that he paid a penalty on that cross for you personally, that your sins were crucified on that cross, that your sins were put to death through him, and that he gave you his right standing. You see, he took your condemned standing before God, and he gives you his righteous standing before God. 
If you're willing to believe that he did that for you, that he died and that he rose again, that he can give you eternal life, the scripture says, God will save you eternally. God will send his spirit to dwell in you and you will be in the kingdom of God and a child of God. But if you choose to go it alone, if you choose to go to heaven on your own merit, you have zero chance. Zero. And you'll spend eternity with the demons. Sounds harsh, but it's true. And people say, how could God send people to hell? How can people choose to go to hell when God's offering you heaven? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. I don't do this as a preacher's trick. I do it to get you alone with yourself. Ask yourself. If I'm standing before God tonight in my sleep, am I going to try to convince him that I've been good? Or am I going to have Jesus between me and him? Maybe right now, you need to pull Jesus into your life picture. Maybe before God, you need to say, all right, I get it. I have sinned. I have disobeyed you. I've disrespected you. I've done things you told me not to do. I've not done the things you've told me to. But right now, I want to accept Jesus having paid the penalty of death for me. I want to accept that he gave me his right standing before you and he took my condemned status and paid that punishment for me. Right now, God, I'm going to believe that he rose from the dead and he has eternal life and that he can give it to me. And I'm asking you, God, to send your spirit to dwell in me. I want to be in the kingdom of God where the angelic host outnumber the demons two to one, where they fight on my behalf, where they come and rescue me, where they can talk to me, where they can touch me, where they can change things in my path. I want to be with you, God. Maybe right in this moment, you just say, forgive me. Save me, God. Save me from a future without you. Bring me into the kingdom of God with you. Thank you, God. Now send me your spirit so I can understand your ways and walk in them. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. What if, in our attempt to get something from Scripture, we are missing the point of that Scripture? What if in our desire to do better and walk our Christianity more closely in line with Scripture, we are missing what the Scripture is about? Pastor Todd's latest book, Flip the Script, takes a fresh look at what the Scriptures are meant to teach us about the Kingdom of God, so that application comes from spiritual understanding instead of behavior modifications. This new book is available now on Amazon, Flip the Script. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com slash give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice? That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.